setting fire to the stoner stereotype. Sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Welcome to Burning Issues on the Cannabis Radio Network. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. As many of you know, I'm Professor of Psychology at the University at Albany, author of the book Understanding Marijuana, published by Oxford University Press, and chair of the Board of Directors at the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Today, we've got special guest Vivian McPeak and our usual segment on self-compassion and the art of activism. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Without further ado, today we have the inspirational host of Hemp Resent, the unparalleled leader of HempFest for over two decades, author of the splendid book, Protestable, the nobleman of neologisms, the headmaster of hemp. Let's give a warm burning issues welcome to Vivian McPeak. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mitch. It's great to be here on your show, man. Oh, I'm really grateful. Hey, our listeners know you, everyone loves hemp fest. Now that Washington State's got a legal recreational market, why keep hemp fest going, man? You know, that's a really good question. I've I've been posed that question a few times, and I guess my initial answer would be there's these, these folks called the Kettle Falls Five here in Washington State, and four of them are each facing up to 100 years each in federal prison for growing medical marijuana here in Washington State as state legal medical marijuana patients, despite the fact that we supposedly legalized marijuana here in Washington State. So if keeping Americans out of jails and prisons for cannabis is a reason to have hemp fest, I think little has changed in that regard. Let's take it another step, and let's say that cannabis has been completely legalized federally across the board, all 50 states. The Seattle Hemp Fest would still have every reason to exist. You know, Mitch, in uh, Germany, almost 4 million people attend Germany's Oktoberfest every year to celebrate the culture of beer drinking. And beer is pretty darn legal in Germany. So we think that cannabis culture deserves its own cultural celebrations, especially when they'll also be celebrating social justice after a long, a century-long struggle for equality. We've still got miles and, to go before justice. we sleep, and I'm looking forward to just celebrating for celebration's sake, man. That sounds super. I mean, it's been over two decades. There was a time when everybody thought you were dreaming the impossible dream. How does it feel to see all these changes? It's surreal. You know, there's, there's times when I wake up and I just, I really have to pinch myself when I go into a medical dispensary or a rec store and I just buy some pot and get in my car and drive off and I, I don't have to look in my rearview mirror. Uh, it's, it's pretty bold. Um, but it's also at times kind of melancholy and bittersweet as legalization efforts butt heads with the, the layers of bureaucracy and all of the NIMBYs, the kind of green rush where everybody's kind of rushing to try to capitalize off this new virgin industry. It's been more of a complicated process than I ever or anticipated. But overall, I think of all the people we lost along the way, Jack Herr, Gatewood Galbraith, Todd Nicaria, Brownie Mary, Peter Williams, all the sacrifice that so many people made against the odds for so many years. Uh, and it all just gets very humbling to be a part of something so big and so, so crucial and so powerful. But I really think about the folks like Jack and people that, that worked so hard, and this was the dream of their life, 
and and a lot of them never got to see it, and some just barely got to see it. So I'm just happy to be here watching it all happen. Oh, yeah, it's really moving when you think about it. I know you put in a ton of effort to make the protestable safe and fun. Have any favorite tales for programs or lineups or events you'd like to share? <laughs> wow. Well, it was pretty cool. I remember the, we had Woody Harrelson come for two years, um, and that was really cool. Uh, Woody was a great guy. I remember he had the second time he'd been fasting for 30 days, and he got so baked backstage, <laughs> he came out, he, he had about five words to say. Um, when, when we had the former Seattle police chief, Norm Stamper, speaking from the stage, introducing Norm Stamper was huge for me uh, because he was the police chief uh, for several years of Hempfest and a great guy and a tremendous author, uh, you know, having both uh, our former mayor, Mike McGinn, and our current mayor speak at Seattle Hempfest was also big for me, as well as the time that Dennis, Dennis Kucinich spoke. I'll tell you, one of the coolest things was, was actually last year when Republican Tea Party con- Congressman Dana Rohrbacher came and spoke at Hempfest, and he was on fire, and the crowd just absolutely loved him. It was really cool. And then uh, I took two other things I can think of, and that is, in 98, we had the humanities scholar Clay Jenkinson, who's one of the world's authorities on Thomas Jefferson, actually come dressed as Thomas Jefferson, and he gave a really cool speech about hemp early America to the crowd as Thomas Jefferson. And that was pretty cool. But I think the coolest thing from my perspective is when the cops gave out Doritos a couple years ago, <laughs> <laughs> they gave these bags of Doritos out to people, the Seattle police department, people coming into the event and they had a sticker kind of telling them what the guidelines of the new law was. And I, I have to tell you, I went through three phases when I heard about all of that, you know, I said, Hey, do you hear the police are giving out Doritos? I thought, Oh, that's, that's interesting. You know, that's cute. And then my next phase was, oh my God, we've got all this media and press releases and everything, and all the media wants to talk about are these darn Doritos. And then my third phase was, oh my God, I'm on CNN Live. I'm, I'm on Geraldo in the studio. This Doritos thing is the best thing that ever happened to us. So we had international media. I actually had a Chinese, a Chinese uh, writer call me from China, which is a very interesting conversation. Um, uh, and we had Mexican and Japanese and German media in our store, in our offices, filming us and stuff. So uh, it's funny, you know, that it's the, the weirdest things take hold that you never expect. Oh, exactly. You know, you've got a wonderful support team there every year when you do it. I'm, I'm blown away. How do you get so many people to pitch in and help? Well, you know, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I think it's a combination of the right cause and the right time, the right community, and and really maybe the right approach. Um, you know, we've got a saying in Hempfest that Hempfest is an action movie, not a drama. And that's because there's a lot of drama that can come up when you're working with a thousand people. Um, but Hempfest is really rooted in community activism. It's equal parts labor of love, leap of faith, and call to action. Uh, and the one principle that these 24 years of doing the Seattle Hempfest has taught me is that people will work harder and longer for a cause they believe in than they will for any amount of money. And I think we just have the right cause and the right community. That's a delightful thought, man. I really, I really relish that. If there are folks out there who are eager to, you know, put their toe in the water and get a, a local hemp fest going in their own town, what would you recommend? Well, you know, I'll tell you, uh, I think 
first thing they need to do is they need to learn about the issue because accuracy is scathingly important. And if you don't know what you're talking about, you shouldn't be talking about it. But once people feel like they've gotten acclimated to what's really going on, especially in their region, because, you know, they say all politics is local, and I think that's really true. I think the most important thing that people could do really is start getting together with other people that feel the same way. And it's as simple as finding a place to meet and making a flyer and putting, a, you know, some, some ads out and forming some kind of a group. Or conversely, finding a group that already exists that's been working these issues that's already established meeting schedules and things like that, and joining that group or contributing to a, a larger or national organization that's working on these issues. But I think the important people thing that people need to understand is, is sometimes the most important activism is just living your life, what you purchase with your dollars, the conversations that you have when you engage the people that you're dealing with in your daily life. I think that's really the most important form of activism is changing your actual lifestyle so that the things that you do with your, in your life support your beliefs. But if somebody wants to do a hemp fest, I think, I think the important thing to think is to, to start off small. Don't, don't be in too much of a hurry. You know, our first hemp fest had 500 people. Um, we had a staff of about 12 people. We worked about two months on it. And then we got to a point when there was about two months in the year we didn't work on it. And now we long for those days because it's 12 months, nose to the grindstone, full steam ahead with a full head of steam. Yeah, it sounds like you just got to ease into it. As you would say, we got to take a pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. But uh, (laughs) we're with burning issues here and talking to Vivian McPeak of HempFest. We'll be right back after these messages. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarterInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Carter Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living 
while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or eight years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, well, Viv, I look back and think about the time when we all sort of thought that maybe hemp was the pathway to getting medical cannabis and recreational cannabis approved. Is that sort of how your perspective is? Do you see it sort of that way? <laughs> I think we had a little bit backwards. Yeah, I thought that too, you know. I mean, it seemed intuitive that industrial hemp was so innocuous, so non-threatening, so tremendously resourceful and with so much to offer. Why in the world would that not be the way to introduce people to the concept that the cannabis plan is a positive thing? As strong as hemp fibers are, I think hemp is just not very sexy. It didn't go that way. And it's kind of defies logic that industrial hemp would be lagging behind medical marijuana and intoxicating uh, recreational marijuana. Um, but that's just the way it is. It's, you know, nothing makes a whole lot of sense in prohibition. Uh, <laughs> Logic seems to be the last thing that enters into it. So it is a very interesting dilemma. What's really cool, though, is that industrial hemp made it into the stores, uh, in food products, in lotions and cosmetics, and even into construction materials. So I think it's happening a lot more than we realized. It's just a lot more kind of under the radar. It's funny because I really thought it was going to be the pathway. I remember buying these special shorts from Jack Herrer and everything. I mean, it was just, it was great. I still get this, hey, you know, people are going to grow recreational plants in between the hemp plants and things like that. Would you mind chiming in about what a crazy delusion that is? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm an, I'm an activist, but I have produced some smokables on my own. And, and I can tell folks that if what they want to do is to produce some really, really low THC marijuana, they need to stick it in with that industrial hemp because when it cross-pollinates, it's all going to be corrupted pretty bad. Yeah, that's a straw man argument about industrial hemp that's, that's always been pretty hollow. I mean, I think people get confused. We're talking about a really long stem, and the idea is to have that part be as big as possible and not much bud at all. So I, I think the People just don't understand how hemp seems to work. While they do kind of look a little bit similar, they're actually very different when you're growing them. Oh, yeah, I agree. Are you hearing different arguments for maintaining prohibition over the years? Like things have suddenly changed since when you first started Hemp Fest, for example? Oh, yeah. I mean, even before then. I mean, over the, over the process of, of prohibition, they've come up with every argument that you can come up with. I mean, originally cannabis, supposedly caused racial to commit violence and rape against the white community and the reefer madness days they said that cannabis literally made people insane and then later they said it made men sterile it caused chromosome damage remember as a kid in the 60s i remember hearing that that smoking pot grew breasts on men which is utterly ridiculous we've heard that drug laws are effective that prohibition discourages drug use which we know is not true that cannabis is a gateway drug, I think that's probably been the most popular argument that has traction in the last 
20 years. We've heard that over and over, which, which I think that cannabis is the gateway to economic recovery for America. And we've heard that there's so many chemicals in pot. We don't know anything about them. We've heard it causes car accidents. It ruins grade school test scores. We've heard just about everything blamed on cannabis. Now they're saying that legalization uh, makes homeless people move to states that have legalized, which I think is absurd and asinine because transients generally lack the resources to relocate to a different state at will. You know, these things, they all change because none of them gain traction because the truth is out there. Cannabis can be used responsibly, and it is being used responsibly by millions, at least by hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people in America alone. Well, you know, that's, that's great to look at it that way. You, you talk about economic recovery, and I'm curious if you'd, if you'd care to elaborate on some of that. We've brought millions of dollars in in the first few years here just in Washington State in tax revenues. The industrial, the environmental, the agricultural, the recreational, the medicinal aspects of cannabis have just, we've just scratched the surface. We, we can talk so much about cannabis and, and what they have to offer us, but the reality is, is that we hardly know very much about it. And I think that what we're going to find over the next century, especially since we're, we appear to be lifting these obstacles to actual unbiased scientific research, I think we're going to find that is one of the most resourceful, natural substances on the planet Earth. And it could greatly revitalize our economy in so many ways by creating jobs and, and cutting pollution and you know, just from growing more sustainable products. The, the, the sky is really the limit. I mean, there's just, just from medical marijuana alone, the potential is huge from edible uh, agricultural cannabis. The potential is huge from just the industrial aspects of cannabis and, and building materials and things like that. I mean, it's just gigantic, and it's such an easily grown, renewable, sustainable, natural resource that requires, you know, very little, it creates very little pollution growing. It requires very little chemicals and stuff like that. I mean, the potential is just over the top. And it's, it's an industry that's been thwarted, that has been blunted, that has been attacked and pre- you know, prevented in every way possible. And I think what we've shown is that this culture and this plan is more powerful than the strongest government in the world because they've thrown everything at us. They've thrown every lie and everything else. And what I look forward to is when we can have some actual honest discussion about the negatives of pot use without feeling like we're contributing to prohibition and to arguments for prohibition, because we haven't been able to have these just open discussions with our legislators, with our family, with our coworkers, because there's been such a stigma about it. And there are some negatives that are potential. I know people can abuse cannabis. They can abuse anything. And it says more about the human mind than I think it says about the cannabis plant. And, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm not a wonk like you are in this, in this stuff. It's just my, my heart's on on it. But I'm looking forward to a time when we can actually talk about the, the, the pros and cons of cannabis use without the politicized nature that we experience right now. No, I, I love the way Hempfest has traditionally been really candid about that sort of thing. I know you've done some great work with Roger Rothman about encouraging responsible use. And I, I really, my hat's off to you guys because I think that's a big discussion and one that takes a lot of bravery do you feel like the prohibitionists are just going to clamp down on us if we happen to mention any negatives? Well, I think that, that it's red meat for the, the, the prohibitionists, that they will certainly run with it. I mean, I'm really feeling like we've turned a corner, that, that, it's just, that there's still a lot of heavy lifting to be done, man. I mean, this is not over in any way. 
But I think we've turned a corner globally in consciousness that people get it, that it's time that there's just failed policy and that it's time to make a massive sweeping fundamental change. And I made a prediction when Obama got elected in 2008. I made this crazy prediction that during his administration, there would be some fundamental changes in federal cannabis law. And I haven't given up. I'm still very hopeful. But recent change about a week ago and the way that they're going to approach scientific research has been a good sign. So I think the prohibitions are not done. I think that they are rebounding, that they're trying to get a foothold. But I think it's over. I think it's a matter of time. I just think that their arguments have, have lost the ear of the American public. And now America has a responsibility to the rest of the world to undo this prohibition that we've marketed everywhere else. That's exactly right. And I thought you were clairvoyant with that Obama administration. That was great. You're host of the Hemp Present Show, and I just want to let you know I'm really enjoying it. That conversation you had with Hyatt was just splendid, and I think it's a real contribution to a whole other side of the movement. I, I can't thank you enough for that. Thank you so much, Mitch. I mean, I learned a lot from listening to the first show myself. It's, a, it's amazing what you can learn when you actually hear what you're doing there. But uh, you were a great inspiration to me. I listened to several of your shows, and you're just, you're just a natural man, and I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for you. It's just great having people in the movement and the culture coming from your awesome heart, heart and headspace. Uh, well, thanks so much, man. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have right now, but maybe down the line, you and I will get together again and, and have another show. Sounds like a deal. Thanks again, Vivian McPeak of HempFest and the Hep Present Show. We're going to take a pause for the cause and be right back with self-compassion in the art of activism. Thanks for turning in to Burning Issues. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Paywin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. Right? <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. 
Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing cannabis radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, welcome back to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine with our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Here's the part of our show that encourages all our listeners to take good care of themselves and each other. I'm finally getting around today to talking about procrastination. I could make a joke of this. I could pretend that I put off writing about procrastination, but you all know that I love doing this segment. So in fact, I write these when I'm procrastinating about doing other stuff. Isn't that really what it all comes down to? Procrastination is doing easy or enjoyable tasks while letting big, important, aversive ones slide. Funny how few people put off having fun. I never hear too many folks procrastinating when it comes to eating dinner or going to the movies or relishing a sativa. To be clear, putting things off isn't always procrastination. Sometimes delaying is just good time management. Right now, I need to clean out my liquor cabinet, but I'm putting it off because it's really no big deal and it's undoubtedly going to lead to sucking down a lot of whiskey. It's really only procrastination when it's a big, important thing. Taxes, which I've been putting off since last April, certainly qualify. Big, important, and aversive. Now, plenty of procrastinators say, I'd stop this procrastinating if only I understood how it started. But in fact, trying to figure out how it started is a superb way to procrastinate. I'll tell you, procrastinators are made, not born. Maybe your parents were super controlling, so you never had to plan ahead because they would yelp at you every time you needed to get something done. Or maybe your parents were over-functioning and did all your tasks for you, so you never really learned how. But surprise, blaming our parents is just another way to procrastinate. Much of procrastination is connected to a broader category, emotional avoidance. It's completely natural and totally human to want to avoid anything that generates bad feelings. In truth, though, there's no need to fear negative emotions. Avoiding them usually leads to a giant mess. Sadness, fear, anger, and frustration are no picnic, but these bad feelings are better than the bad events that can stem from putting things off. Of course I don't want to do my taxes, but it's markedly worse to have to pay a huge penalty for filing them late, or in my case, later. Most procrastination also arises from a couple of irrational beliefs, and these are ones that we all have. The first belief is, I can't do anything unless I feel like doing it. Now, I admit I would prefer to feel like doing things before, That's just not realistic. I'm not always going to feel like doing something even when I need to do it. And then the second belief is somewhere in the future, I'm going to feel like doing it. Oh, yeah, sure. 
I haven't felt like doing my taxes all year. In fact, I haven't felt like doing taxes every single day for over 50 years. But somehow I still think there's a day in the near future where I'm going to wake up and feel differently. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be foaming at the mouth to do my taxes. I'm going to say, wow, I can't wait to do taxes. It's just not going to happen. So I might as well accept the fact that I'm always going to feel this way about it. It doesn't change the fact that it needs to be done. But there's a way to make it a little less arduous. I'm going to challenge those irrational beliefs, but I'm also going to break the task down into doable chunks. Behaviorists call this successive approximations. You get closer and closer to getting the whole task done with each little effort. My mom used to call it baby steps. Take the big task and turn it into a series of little tasks. Do your taxes is a hellish thing to have on your to-do list, but I can break it down into smaller ones that don't upset my stomach. How small? Small enough that I can stand the idea. Get the forms together. Get the receipts together. If those are too big, I might even go smaller. Write name on form. You get the idea. The advantage of these little tasks is that I can feel my progress more quickly. I can't sit down and do my taxes in one giant 14-hour marathon of mathematical mayhem, but I can get the forms out. I can organize my W-2s, and each of these will eventually add up to getting the whole thing done. I'll get closer and closer with each little task. So what's funny, you know, it's never as bad as I think it's going to be. The thing that I think I'm going to hate is never that sharp stick in the eye that it seems like in my head. So challenge the irrational ideas that you have to feel like doing something in order to do it, and then break the dreaded task down into smaller, less dreadful ones. Hey, with that in mind, I'm going to go get started on my taxes. Thanks so much for listening to Burning Issues. My hearty thanks to producer extraordinaire Brasco and our guest, Vivian McPeak of the Hemp Resent Podcast. Please join us again next week. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine at CannabisRadio.com. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.